In these verses, we see that uh, the Lord holds before us a very alluring prospect, at least it ought to be a very alluring prospect, and that is that we may become partakers of the divine nature. So the first sermon was dedicated to that alluring prospect. And then beginning with verse 5, we see that there is a divinely ordained prescription to cooperate with the plan of becoming a participant of the divine nature. It starts with faith, but it doesn't end with faith. Verse 5 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And so here is an eight-step process of cooperating with the work that uh, the Lord is doing in Christians and things that we are to consciously endeavor to uh, cultivate in our lives. Eight virtues are mentioned here, starting with faith and ending with love. Now, before I read uh, my text for today, um, let me set it up by saying... If I were to just sit down and write a list of the things that I really wanted to happen in my life, it would include some of the following things. I mean, if, uh, if I had a disease and the doctors had told me, you're going to die in a week, and I've got a few days of clear thinking to think about it, and I were looking back on my life, I think that I would... Uh, mention some of these things in my list. I hope that my life I hope that my life had these elements in it. I hope that my life mattered. I, I hope that uh, I hope that I bore fruit. I hope that I was not ineffective. Uh, there have been uh, the pursuit of my life has been to preach and teach the Word of God. I hope that it made a difference in people's lives. So I would hope that uh, I hope that my life bore fruit and that my life was effective. Would hope that there would be people who would miss me when I was gone. Several years ago, I I asked myself if if I were to die and my wife had to call up friends to be my pallbearers, would there be six people among my friends who would say, "Well, Carol, I'll do it," but and I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I mean, his death has affected me so deeply that I just feel weak, and I'll do it, but I don't know that I could. Would there be six people who felt like that about me? You might ask yourself that same question later on today as you muse upon this sermon. Have Have I invested sufficiently in six people that if I were to die, they would say, wow, I'm really going to miss her. I'm really, she made such a difference in my life. I think that I would also say, I I hope that I have seen things clearly. I certainly hope that I have not been deceived about the most important things and the things that I have uh, felt to be most important in life. I hope that my spiritual sight has been clear. I hope that when it comes time to die, that I will have assurance of my salvation, that by that time I will know confidently that uh, the Lord called me, 
And because he called me, I know that he elected me before the foundation of the world. And consequently, he is going to complete my salvation uh, through the great change that I'm going to be undergoing in the next few days as I leave this world of, uh, of bodily existence and go into the, the next world where my spirit will exist for a while without a body. hope that I have assurance of salvation. And then I hope that I have not brought dishonor upon the name of the Lord. I hope that in those final days I don't look back and say, you fell grievously. People had confidence in you, and you did well for years and years, but then came that terrible fall. I hope I don't have to look back on a fall like that. And then I hope that as I face the prospect of uh, dying and uh, going to meet the Lord, that uh, it's, not a, it's, not, it's not a prospect that fills me with craven fear that it will be a prospect that I think, I'll be glad to see him. I think he'll be glad to see me. I feel confidently that I will be richly granted an entrance into the eternal kingdom of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I didn't enumerate them, but I mentioned five things, and they are, in fact, five blessings that are promised to us in this text Five blessings that are promised to people who have become partakers in the divine nature and people who have participated in this divine prescription of how we may participate in the divine nature. Let's then read these five precious promises that are made. Verse 8 says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, here's the first one, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second one is in verse 9, spiritual, clear spiritual sight. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10 gives us the third one, an assurance of salvation. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice, and then here's the fourth thing I wished for, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And then the fifth thing that I wished for is in verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes there are uh, tasks that I know need to be done and ought to be done, but I don't want to do them right then. And then I will tell myself, don't be insulting to your future self. This has to be done. Why don't you do it now? And in a few days when it must be done, you will be glad that it has been done. Don't be insulting to your future self. Do a a favor to your future self and think, how am I going to feel about this? You know, there are all kinds of uh, responsibilities that I have to to speak. And as I I anticipate these uh, speaking and teaching opportunities coming up, I tell myself, get ready now. Because in a few days, you're going to be embarrassed if you stand up and you're not prepared. Get ready now. 
And what I'm saying is that there will come a week, maybe, when you have time to reflect upon your life. And I'm saying do yourself a favor for that last week of your life self. Do a favor now and make ready so that that will not be a week of, uh, of misery and a week of squirming as you think about leaving this world. You may not have a week. You may have only a few minutes as Stephen did. But may you so live now so that if that day takes you by surprise, that you will nevertheless have the five blessings that are enumerated in this text and that we'll think about now. So the first blessing that is enumerated in this text is that if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you will have a, a fruitful, effective life. Let's look at it again in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the qualifiers that attach this promise. The qualifier is, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. And so these are not the kind of virtues that you, you get them, you seal them up in a box, and you say, well, that's done. I don't have to worry anymore about that. No, this is a lifelong, it's a lifelong procedure. This is a lifelong schedule that we're on. This is a prescription that the Lord has given us that is to be ours, but we also are to be cooperating with the Lord's willingness to let these virtues be increasing in us so that we are always adding to our faith virtue and to our virtue knowledge and to our knowledge self-control and steadfastness and to our steadfastness godliness and to our godliness brotherly affection and to brotherly affection love that this is an ongoing process this would be a very good list for you to memorize a very good list for you to pray through there are a number of lists like this that uh, have often been a part of my regular prayer life the Ten Commandments, wonderful to pray through the Ten Commandments, gives you a good opportunity to, to measure yourself up against uh, God's standard and see how far short you're falling. The, the, the Beatitudes, to memorize the Beatitudes and pray through the Beatitudes. How am I doing uh, in comparison in, uh, to these things that the Lord mentions? To memorize the fruits of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. Are these fruits of the Spirit being produced in my life? So your, your, your prayer life uh, can be enriched with uh, uh, praying, praying these solid, wonderful scriptures on a regular basis. Maybe not every day, but maybe a week at a time or every other day you pray through these things. And this would be a wonderful list to add to that, uh, those lists of things that you pray through and say, am I doing this? Uh, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It apparently is possible for us to have some knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and still live a life that is largely ineffective or unfruitful, or at least not as effective or fruitful as it might have been. But here, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you may not always recognize how your life is effective and fruitful 
but it will be effective and fruitful. You theology students uh, sometime need to look up a sermon called The Power of Unconscious Influence and read it. It was preached by a man that we might consider to be a liberal. I'll mention his name to you sometime. I can't think of it right now. I think I know who it is, but I don't want to mislead you. But the, the power of unconscious influence, what a, what a power that is. It is the power of unconscious influence that I often have in mind when I pray before you on a Sunday morning that the Lord would bless the preaching and the teaching and the singing and the giving, but also just the looks in the eye and the handshake, that there is a power of unconscious influence. And obviously, since it's unconscious, we often don't know that we are having that kind of an influence. But here the Lord says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing You may be conscious of some influence, but even if you're not, your life will not be ineffective or unfruitful. The Lord Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. I want my life to be like that. I'm sure you do too. I want your life to be effective and fruitful in the lives of people around you. If these qualities are yours and are increasing... You will be effective and you will be fruitful. But now in verse 9, we see a second blessing that is uh, implied. It's stated negatively. The blessing that is implied, that is, if you have these qualities and they are increasing, then you will have a clear spiritual sight. But if they're missing, as verse 9 says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. And then it mentions one specific thing to which... We are blind, and the evidence that we are blind. Let me, first of all, uh, remind you that nearsightedness is that uh, defect in vision whereby you are able to see things that are up close, but you're not able to see clearly things that are far away. Uh, This was uh, what happened to my vision when I was in my early 20s. I could still read without reading glasses, But uh, things far away began to get fuzzy, and they continued to get more and more fuzzy. I eventually had LASIK surgery about 20 years ago, and it corrected that problem, but it made me farsighted so that now I have to read with reading glasses. But I thought that it was a good trade. I knew that that was probably going to happen. But many of you in here, you're nearsighted the way that I was. You can see things that are up close, but things that are far away are fuzzy to you. Well, in a spiritual sense, that means that you get so caught up in the things that are around you and the things that are happening right now that you forget, you forget the big picture. You're not able to see the big picture. And if we are not deliberately cultivating in our lives faith and virtue and knowledge and so on through that list of eight things, then it has a tendency to make us nearsighted. We get caught up in the urgent things that are all around us. And before you know it, we're so caught up in the things that have to be done today that we no longer have the time for those those exercises, those spiritual disciplines that we know are going to be good for us in the long term. And so the the Bible reading gets pushed out of the way. The praying becomes just the bare minimum. Sometimes church attendance becomes sporadic. After all, we are so busy and we have so much to do. 
I, I never have time at, under those circumstances. I never have time to, to just meet with people and to just enjoy Christian fellowship with others. I've got so much to do. You know what's happened when you get like that? You've become so nearsighted that you're blind. You're forgetting the big picture. You're getting so caught up in what is near that you're neglecting the things that are in the distant past or things that are in the distant future. And something in the distant past is mentioned here. So, for example, you will forget that you have been cleansed from your former sins. Now, I think that this is not just a haphazardly chosen example of the sort of things that you will forget if you become so nearsighted. I think that it is connected to the context. And the idea is this. There was a time in your life when you were made sad by your sin. And you, with grief and hatred, turned from your sin. And it may have been a painful experience for you at that time. You may have gone through the process of thinking, if I become an earnest Christian, then I'm going to lose friends. But then you said, but it's worth it. It is more important that I be friends with God than that I maintain this circle of friends. It may be that uh, there was some business practice that you said, well, if I become a Christian, then I'm not going to prosper in this business because this business requires that I do something that the Lord is going to call on me to give up. But you said, I want to have the riches of heaven more than I want to have the riches of earth, and so you turned away from those things. There may have been a relationship that you were involved in And you said to yourself, if I become a Christian, then it means that I'm going to have to break off this relationship. And it hurt you because you loved that person, but you said, I want to have the fellowship and friendship of God more than I want to have this relationship that for some reason or another, the Lord is calling on me to give up and so on. So this passage of scripture calls upon us to remember the sacrifice that you made and the cleansing that took place when God cleansed you from those things. And now you've just kind of forgotten that. And you've sort of fallen back into your own ways. It's like someone who is finally free from alcoholism starts thinking, well, I'm just going to take a sip every now and then. Someone who was finally free from his addiction to tobacco says, well, I'm just going to smoke one a day. Someone who is free from his addiction to pornography says, well, then I'm just going to um, look at this picture uh, today, and, and then that's it, and I'm going to be done with it. When you're acting like that, you are so nearsighted that you're, forget, you're forgetting this cleansing that took place, the, the effort that you put into it, the grace that God washed over you to cleanse you from this filthy stuff, And now you're just playing around in it again. And this is uh, an an emphasis of the principle that nature abhors a void. And if you try to just clean up your life from the bad things and you don't replace it with faith and excellence and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love then these bad things are going to be sucked back into the void. So don't let that happen. If you're letting it happen, then you are experiencing this spiritual nearsightedness, so caught up in the things of right now 
that you've lost sight of the distant spiritual things, specifically the fact that you were cleansed from your former uh, lusts. So, if, but if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then you will have a clear spiritual sight. You will be able to see things that are near, and you'll also be able to see things that are far away. Verse 10 gives us the third of the blessings that are promised to those when uh, these qualities are yours and are increasing, and it's the promise of the assurance of salvation. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Make, you, you can know, be sure, you can be sure that you have been called, and if you have been called, then you know that you have been elected. I think that the order is significant. We cannot see into the dark mystery of eternity past and tell whether or not God elected us, but we can look into the experience of our own lives and say, God did call me. He did call me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And if you have been called, then you may be assured that you also have been elected. Make your calling and your election sure. People who are truly called, people who have been elected and truly called, are able to lead holy lives. Not sinless lives, not perfect lives, but they are able to pursue with persistence this this pursuit of being a partaker of the divine nature where we supplement our faith with virtue and our virtue with knowledge and so on through the list of these eight virtues. You do not have to be in constant doubt about your salvation. The Bible says these things have been written that you may know that you have eternal life. There are many people who say, I won't know whether or not I'm saved until I get to heaven or until I get to hell. But the teaching of the scriptures is that even now you can confirm your calling and election. And if a character of holiness is being cultivated in you, if God is making you a holy person, then you may be sure that one day he is going to land you in the holy place. And the greatest evidence that you're going to one day be in heaven is that you are even now being prepared to live there with joy. And so if these qualities are yours and are increasing, then you may have the assurance that the Lord has elected you because he has called you and you'll be in heaven forever. The fourth blessing that is promised is there at the end of verse 10, for if you practice these qualities you will never fall. All of us can think of someone concerning whose spiritual standing we were unshakably confident who now has turned away from the faith. I'm sure that you can think about people who sat in this room with you. People that you said, Well, that person for sure is a Christian. I mean, they they sing they sang in the choir. They they participated in mission trips. They taught Sunday school. They they came to work days. I mean, they were here and they were here for years, and now they're not here, and they're not anywhere. That's the thing. You see, it's not just that they got 
sick of the preacher here or, or whatever the case was and they went somewhere else. It's that they're not anywhere. They have left the faith. So we don't have to get on the internet or get on television to see the kind of thing that this is talking about. We know people. We know people that this has happened to. And one of the effects of when we see that happen is that we ought to say, Oh Lord, please, not me. Don't let it happen to me. If it happened to him, if it happened to her, then I fear that I'm vulnerable to such a thing. The New Testament confirms that when it says, Let him that stands take heed lest he fall. Who would have thought that that big, strong, outspoken, brave man, Peter, would one day quiver before a little servant girl and say, I don't know Jesus. God prevent it from happening to us. I don't want there to be any shame that comes upon the name of Christ because I have fallen. Oh, I just pray to God that he would kill me before he would ever let me bring dishonor to the name of Jesus by a shameful fall. I don't want to fall. You don't want to fall. Well, look at the promise at the end of verse 10. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I have uh, had several friends who have fallen grievously. It seems like everybody just points the finger and everybody abandons them. And I've tried to make it a, something of a little ministry of mine that I try to contact them in some way, email, letter, maybe a phone call, maybe visit them in person and say, now you've messed up and there's no doubt about it, but this does not have to define the rest of your life. Get up. Get up. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way, though he fall. He will not be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his word. You've fallen. Now get up. Get up. Maybe the Lord will bring someone to your own mind, someone that I don't know, but someone that you think, you know, I could, I could speak that word to someone. And you may think that it does no good, but you may be surprised at how the Lord can use something like that to recall Galatians chapter 6 says, When you see a brother overtaken in a fault, those of you who are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. You see, there it gives us the balance. We want to reclaim this brother, but we've got to reclaim him in such a way that we recognize, hey, I'm vulnerable to this kind of thing too. I could fall. I want to restore him in a spirit of meekness. But the Lord says, take heed lest you yourself fall. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I'm thinking of a, a preacher friend of mine, and thank God he has been reclaimed. I want to tell you a little story about him. Uh, he, he one day said that uh, he was preaching, preaching on a Sunday morning from the passage of Scripture where Moses had asked God to kill him. And he said, he said to his congregation, a man has got to be in an extremely low condition before he will ask God to kill him. And then he told me, before the day was over, I was asking God to kill me. Because a secret sin of his had been discovered and had been discovered in a public way. And, and his ministry was ruined. 
And when I heard about it, then uh, I, uh, I sent him a letter and told him the sort of thing that I just told you. This doesn't have to define the rest of your life. Get up, live it down, live it down. A few years later, after I assumed that he had made a recovery, I said, now, there's a church that is asking for a pastor, and I'm going to recommend you, but I, I need to have some assurance that you really have repented of this thing that brought you down. And he sent me a letter or an email, I can't remember what it was, and, and he told this little story. He said, he said, I've heard that when a shepherd had a sheep that would persistently go astray, that he would break one of the sheep's legs. And then he would carry that sheep around until the leg was healed. And then that sheep would never leave the side of the shepherd. He said, I think that's what God did to me. He broke my leg so that I would never leave the side of the shepherd again. That ministry situation never worked out for him, but a few months later he was once again pastoring a church, a more humble, I dare say a more useful man of God, and he wrote me a letter and he said, you encouraged me, especially when you said, get up. You've fallen, but get up. I wondered about that day when he began to fall into the sin that led to his downfall, What if that morning he had been on his knees before the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, I thank you that you've given me faith. But I want to supplement my faith with excellence. Help me to live an excellent life today. And, Lord, I want to supplement my my excellence with knowledge. So as I read your word, I pray that you will saturate me with the light of your word and the light of your truth. Make me a holy man. I want to know you. Perhaps today, Lord, I will be faced with temptations and maybe even the thought of that temptation that was pending that very day would have flashed through his mind and said, Lord, you know that I'm weak in this area. I need you to give me self-control. You've said that wherever we're faced with a temptation, you make a way of escape. Lord, I pray that you'll prove that today in my life. Give me self-control. And there are some things today that I need to do that I don't want to do, but Lord, I pray that you'll grant me your steadfastness. After all, Father, I do want to be like you. I want to be a godly man. Help me to show brotherly affection to my wife and to my children and to my church and to strangers that I meet today. Help me to show them brotherly affection. And over all this, I pray that you will just cover me up with love. I just wonder if a man on his knees before God praying such a thing earnestly that day, that morning, how that temptation would have affected him. I just imagine, now to borrow a little bit from a Christian brother, Christmas Evans, just imagine that Satan comes down uh, looking for some man of God that he is going to, uh, that he's going to mess up. And Satan comes down and he sees, he sees this man, he's a good-looking man, he's a talented man, he's having a great influence for Christ, And Satan says, now that's the man that I'm going to get, and here's how I'm going to get him. Today I'm going to arrange for him to to meet a pretty woman. 
and I'm going to arrange for him to begin to think lustful thoughts about this pretty woman. I'm going to come down, I'm going to commence the process this very morning. And he comes down into the man's house and he finds him on his knees, pouring out his heart before God, saying, Oh God, give me self-control this day. Lord, help me to be steadfast in following after you. And Satan would have to say, Not this man, not today. There's a shield of protection around him. And I cannot get through this shield of protection that is on him. And if we day after day are seeking to live godly lives in the presence of the Lord, then I dare say that there will be many a morning that Satan comes down saying, how can I mess him up today? How can I mess up her life today? How can I get him to go back into those old habits? And then he hears us pouring out our hearts earnestly to God for these virtues. And Satan has to say, well, it's not going to happen today. There's a shield of protection. If these qualities are yours, you will never fall. And then the fifth blessing that is mentioned in this text is, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now there are ways that we enter the kingdom of God when we are born again. But I think that this is specifically talking about the entrance into the kingdom of God when you die. The sort of thing that Paul anticipated when he said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And not for me only, but for all those who love his appearing. I think this is the kind of, uh, the kind of reception that Stephen uh, got a glimpse of when he was being stoned. And the rocks were falling down upon him. And he knows that he has just a few minutes to live. But he looks up to heaven. And he sees Jesus standing up to receive him. Now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. But apparently when one of his chosen servants comes home, he stands up and says, come on home, my child. Come on home. I want that kind of an entrance. I want to be richly granted an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've never been around shipping Always lived inland, but I've seen pictures of old battle-torn ships. Uh, Their sails all shredded and leaky and just barely making it into port. And there are some people who are going to enter heaven that way, just barely, barely making it there. But if those uh, shredded sails are the result of the storms of persecution... If those cannonball holes in the hull are the result of the the cannonballs that Satan has shot at you because you are a holy man or a holy woman of God, then there will be a cheering, God-filled Christ standing up welcome to you when you come into the harbor. One of my favorite poems is by Alfred Lord Tennyson. He describes death this way, sunset and evening star and one clear call for me and may there be no moaning at the bar when I put out to sea but such a tide as moving seems asleep too full for sound or foam when that which drew from out the boundless deep returns again home. Twilight and evening bell and after that the dark and may there be no moaning of farewell when I embark. For though from out our bourne of time and place the flood may bear me far, I hope to meet my pilot face to face 
when I've crossed the bar. <clears throat> Martin Lloyd-Jones, the uh, famous British preacher, had a daughter. She may be still alive, Elizabeth Cather Wood, who was a great admirer of literature. She showed that poem to her dad one day and said, Isn't it beautiful? And Lloyd-Jones said, It's not true. Death for the Christian is not a putting out to sea. It's a coming into harbor. She said, but Daddy, isn't it beautiful? And he again emphasized, it's not true. Exactly on target is uh, Charles Wesley's hymn, While the Nearer Waters Roll, Safe into the Haven Guide. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. This is not Wesley. That was Wesley. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. And then the st third stanza of that song says, When at last I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar, twixt me and that peaceful rest, then while leaning on thy breast, may I hear thee say to me, Fear not, I will pilot thee. There's dangerous rocks ahead of you. There's... There's rough water, there's rough waves. Dying is not an easy business. But don't worry, I'll be with you. And I'll say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. I want to have that kind of death. Don't you? I think you do. I think you do. It starts with faith. You receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sin. You come into the household. You are, you are in the initial stages of being recreated in the image of God. You are beginning to be a partaker of the divine nature. Cooperate with the process that the Lord has laid out. And then these blessings are yours. These blessings will be yours. You will have an effective and fruitful life. You'll have a clear spiritual sight. You will have the assurance of your salvation. You will never fall. And in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jim Bob, lead us in a concluding hymn, please.